0: So we're in week five this week, so that means we're in chapter five, right. So turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter five. Uh, It works this time anyway, and (laughs) we will uh, look at what God has for us in that. Uh, The material here in chapter five is kind of a continuation of what was in chapter four that we looked at last week, You know, when you write a letter, you don't like put chapters and verses in your letter when you're writing to somebody or an email, you know. Uh, You just send it. And that's what Paul did. He just sent it. But for our uh, benefit to be able to know what we're talking about, we've added those little uh, numbers in there and stuff. So, uh, But generally, this you know, people, when they would read this, they would sit down and somebody would read through the whole letter to the group. Uh, aren't you glad we do just do a chapter at a time on Sunday? <laughs> In chapter 4 we saw Paul was telling everybody to put off the darkness of those who are separated from God, to put that darkness off, to put the, off that former way of life, and to put on the new self, the, the stuff God has for us, Um, Now that we are uh, new in him, we are created to be like God, living in the light of God. And so uh, as we continue on, be thinking that this is just a continuation of what he started there in chapter 4. So Ephesians 5, starting at verse 1. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality, or of any kind of impurity, or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, "...has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For once you were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord." have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention them, what the disobedient do in secret. But everything will be exposed by the light and become visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, wake up sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise Lord God, we just thank you for your word this morning. Father, we pray that it would accomplish what you have for it to accomplish in our hearts and lives. Lord, we open our hearts to you and say, Father, just speak to us this morning. Show us what you have for us out of this passage in Jesus' name. Amen. So this chapter begins with uh, to follow God's example. So the question this morning is, who are we like? Who are we going to be like? Uh, It tells us to follow his example, uh, be followers of Jesus Christ, imitating his example is what that means. So why would we, this is a question for everybody, why would we want to be like Jesus? Because he's perfect, spotless, loving, and kind. Showing us how to behave as God's children, yeah. Anything else? Showing us how to love one another. Showing us how to love one another. Yeah, these are all good uh, thoughts, good answers. And you know, you just had a second there to to think about it. I've had all week here, and so <laughs> what? The, another thing I would say is that it's really the best way to live. You know, if we were created. To live like that, it is the best way for us to be living. Um, it honors the Lord and Savior. It's it's how we rec- how we were created to operate when we were following Jesus Christ. Um, it's also why Jesus died for us. He didn't die for us to keep living like we were before. He died for us so we could live like him. Um, So we could be free to follow him. We could be set free of that junk of the past so we could be free to follow Jesus Christ and be in a relationship with God. Uh, Imitate God, it says, as dearly loved children. So that's kind of like what you were saying. If we're children of God, we want to imitate how uh, Jesus is, how the Father is. Have you ever seen a father out working in the yard and one of his kids is out there, one of his young kids is out there uh, working with him, kind of imitating him? One of my favorite memories um, of our kids growing up was of Steve out mowing the front yard and the backyard of the house, you know, mowing the grass, and here right, you know, uh, many yards behind him to be safe. Uh, coming along behind him, though, is our one son pushing his plastic lawnmower, just like Dad. <laughs> And it was the cutest thing. I mean, he's imitating Steve, and obviously his lawnmower, because it's a plastic toy, was doing nothing. But in his mind, he's helping Dad mow the yard, yeah? (laughs) Exactly. And he wanted to be just like Dad. So that's what we should want, to be just like Jesus, be like the Father, people of holiness and righteousness, people of love, people of compassion people of forgiveness, and it says in here that we're supposed to live a life of love. And so that's part of what it means to be imitating God is showing that love to others, just like Christ loved us and gave himself for us. In the original Greek, it means, um, it, it, it says in here, according to what Christ did, that we are to live a life of love. And how he loved us and how he gave his life for us on our behalf. And it tells us there that it was a fragrant offering and a fragrant sacrifice to God. So when we do that, that means it's that, that way for us too. And it says here that because, you know, that fragrant offering, fragrant sacrifice, if God is saying that's what it was to him, it means it pleased him. It pleased God. Jesus' death and resurrection was pleasing to God because it accomplished his will. And we were therefore able to, just like we learned a few weeks ago, we're able to not be people far off, but to be brought near, brought near to the Father. We're to follow this example, to imitate it, to live our lives as loving people, according to the manner of Jesus Christ, according to how he gave his life for us. So a question for all of you again, what would that mean then, to imitate that type of love that Jesus had for us? What would that look like? Showing love to others, yeah. What kind of love would that be? Uh, Perfect love, having compassion. Yeah, if it's like Jesus' love for us, that means that it's selfless love. It means that it sometimes could be sacrificial. Uh, Just like Jesus lived and died for us, it becomes that fragrant offering to God when we give of ourselves and love others and show the love of God to others when we follow that example. It would mean that we're willing to give ourselves of ourselves to help other people, to encourage them, to show them how much we care about them, to show them that love, that we would lay down selfishness and pride and thoughts of doing stuff just for us and live the way that Jesus did. And that means that you don't put yourself first. And that's hard, but When you love others as yourself, like the Bible tells us to do. And that means that we're helping them to come to the Lord Jesus Christ too. That we're speaking words of life over them. That we, you know, ask God to help us to be able to do that. The next few verses tell us more about how then do we live. What does that look like as we walk it out? Well, first of all, he says, you know, not even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or greed. He said they're improper. They're almost like idolatry, he says. He said these are things that are not good. You don't want these things in your life. That means as followers of Jesus Christ that people shouldn't have to wonder how we're living. Like there shouldn't be a hint, meaning they shouldn't be like, seems like that's a little bit immoral to me. That shouldn't be something they think of. He says not even a hint of it. And not only that, but not any kind of impure living and not any kind of greed. It's interesting to me that he lumps greed in there with all that stuff, but what this is, is all very selfish kinds of things. It's looking to gratify self, and greed belongs in that category then. And he also he says also, no obscenities, no sinful talk or crude, vulgar joking. And I know that sometimes when we're out in the world, when we're working our jobs or just walking around, watching TV these days, I mean, right? Um, There's not, people are doing this. There's crude, vulgar talking and joking going on. And Paul said that should be out of place for you though. You should not be doing any of that as followers of Christ. Because instead of that, he said what should be coming out of your mouth is thanksgiving. And the word here for immorality, when he's talking about immorality and and, uh, that kind of thing going on, is pornea. Does that kind of remind you of another word? And what he's saying there is that word pornea is not just one type of thing. It's covering all kinds of illicit sexual behavior. He said that shouldn't be any part of what you're doing. Uh, Sexual immorality, the reason he's telling them this is because this was a big problem in the Gentile culture. It had been part of their culture with their pagan worship. So they just brought it along into the church. They figured, well, it was worshipful there. We'll just do it here at church. And Paul's telling them, that should not be part of who you are now. Uh, That's the old self. That's the improper things that you did before. And that should not be part of who you are in Jesus Christ. He says, no immoral, impure, or greedy person has any inheritance. So no present or future possession from the Lord. If you're acting like that, you are cutting off God's ability to bless you is what he's telling you. You are cutting off the ability that God has to pour into your life by your sinfulness. And in the kingdom of Christ and of God, Paul associates idolatry with immorality and greedy pursuit of wealth. Unclean acts that we don't want in our walk with God because it, like I said, it blocks what God can pour into your life, what how he can bless you. But the other thing it does, it just opens you wide up to the attacks of the enemy. So if you're having trouble and struggles with stuff, make sure that you're not doing something in one of these categories. Don't even have a hint of it. So... What does that show, though? Say, we, say someone is living an immoral life. Uh, what does that show about themselves? What do you think? They're not followers of Christ. They're not born again. They're not experiencing God's best. For them. They're not experiencing God's best. Yeah, their behaviors reflecting affecting the life they're living. If they're they're able, uh, their to get the yeah, it really will ruin your witness, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> that's, a, <laughs> that's a definite there. What it really shows us, if someone says, you know, I'm a Christian, but I'm still having trouble with this. What that shows is they have not really fully surrendered their life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is not their Lord of their life. Um, They're living in the old self. They're living in the way Paul said, don't be living like that. You know, put that off. Put on the new life that God has for you. And when when we follow Jesus with all of our hearts, all of our souls, all of our strength, we don't want to do those things. Okay? We don't want to do those things. The Holy Spirit then can give us the strength, can give us the ability to be free of all of that. And Jesus will guide us. Paul then goes on and says, don't let anyone deceive you with empty words. Uh, He's saying they're making that up if they're telling you you can do that kind of stuff and still be a follower of Jesus. He said, don't let anybody mislead you. They are lying to you. And if you think you can live this way and still be a follower of Jesus Christ, and apparently there were some who thought you could do both. They thought that was okay. He said, if you think you can be immoral and doing all this stuff and speaking this way and acting this way and be a follower of Jesus Christ, Paul says, no, you're being misled. You cannot do both. You can't have a foot in the sinfulness and a foot in following Christ and think it's going to work out. Because of doing such things, he says God's wrath comes upon those who are disobedient. John 3.36, Jesus is, is talking to his disciples and he said, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. And to live in that style of life, to try to do those things, that vulgar language, immorality, greediness, means we've rejected Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. You can't have two masters. So don't get pulled back into an improper lifestyle. It'll pull you away from the Lord, is what Paul is saying. And so then Paul says, therefore, don't be partners. And the Greek here is don't be partakers with them. Because if you do those things, if you're a partaker, the people that you're doing that with, the people that are like that, if you are partnering with them to do that kind of thing, he says, you will have the same spiritual state that they're living in. One of sinful and moral behavior. He said, don't partake with that. Don't. So if there's this group over here, at, say at church, we're thinking it's okay to be immoral and do all this stuff and be greedy and all that. He's saying, don't have fellowship with them. Don't be partakers. It's the same word used in Ephesians 3, 6, where we, the the Jews and the Gentile believers, share together in the promise of Christ. That's partaking together, sharing together. And he says, you want to partake in that, in the promise of Jesus Christ. But he's saying here, do not share, do not partake with those who are living this old lifestyle, this immoral lifestyle. And why? Because once you were in moral darkness, sinfulness, but now, he says, you are the light of the Lord. Live as children of light. Live worthy of your calling. If we are the light of the Lord, that's, that's cool, huh? Because the light of God is, is this holy, pure, righteous light. And if that's us, and we are to be showing that to be the light of the world, we don't want to cloud that up with junk of the enemy. And he lists what that light should be like, the fruit of light. This is what should come from following Jesus Christ, meaning as we follow him, there should be fruit. There should be evidence of that in our lives. And he says, this is what it is, goodness, righteousness and truth, to live by finding out what pleases the Lord, what is well-pleasing to him, fully acceptable to him. So how do you do that? How do we do that? How do we find out what is well-pleasing to the Lord? What do you think? By, I mean, by reading, word. reading his word. Yeah. Prayer, yes. Hanging out with other people who are followers of Jesus. Yeah, and doing, doing good things. Uh, Read the word daily. Pray daily. Put off the things of the past. Desire to be like Jesus. If we desire that, God will help us. Desire to quit living in sin. Have nothing to do with sin. In verse eleven, it tells us to not, don't, don't have fellowship with it. In other words, don't hang out in sin. Don't hang out with sinfulness. Don't be a partaker with it. Don't have those fruitless deeds of darkness, as he says. If you have a friend, uh, think about it this way, if you have a friend who would start being really awful to you and mistreating you, and you'd probably stop associating with them, right? Uh, because it would be too harmful and too hurtful to be with him. And you might forgive him and you move on, but you don't fellowship with them anymore because it's not good for you. That's what this means. Don't be friends with, don't spend time with, Don't even have a hint of this kind of behavior in your life, of the fruitless deeds of darkness, because they'll get you nowhere and profit you nothing. And he says, don't even talk about this. Don't even talk about what they do. It's shameful. So what they do in secret, you you don't, don't even talk about it. It's, It's not good for you. Everything exposed by the light becomes visible. When God's light is shined on the hearts of people, that evil, that immorality is exposed. And why does God do that? He does that so we will deal with it. That's why this says, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, rise from darkness and spiritual death, and Christ will shine upon you. And what Paul is talking about there is is kind of a various way of saying, what's in Isaiah 62? Uh, 60 verse 2, see darkness covers the earth and thick darkness is over the peoples, but the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. He's saying as we have the light of God shined on us on our hearts, as we see that the stuff that is evil is exposed and we need to come to Christ as our Lord and Savior, then His glory is going to appear over us. And we, it's like we rise from the dead spiritually and become alive spiritually. When we come to Jesus Christ, when we receive Him as our Lord and Savior, there should be a radical change in our identity. There should go from, it, we should go from darkness to light. There should be a difference. Once we were in darkness, now we're in light. From sin to righteousness. From death to life, there should be something so different about how we are now that we are followers of Jesus Christ. Paul doesn't want them to miss out on their spiritual inheritance, their life of spiritual blessing, he says. And he tells them to be very careful how they live. Watch out. Don't live in such a way that you fall away from the Lord Jesus Christ. That you lose the freedom that Christ bought for you on the cross. To live your life worthy is how you should be because you're children of God, living in the light. Don't be foolish. He keeps saying it so many different ways here. He he really wants them to get it. He wants us to get it. Don't be foolish, don't be unwise, but be wise. Which means that we see how we need to live and we are wise about our choices, wise about the decisions we make. We become people of discernment and integrity. And make the most of every opportunity, he says. And that that Greek there means to redeem the time, to redeem the kairos moments. See, as we live our life, there are moments that come along that we want to redeem them. We want to take full advantage of them and seize those moments that God gives us to be able to follow him and share about him with other people. He says, because the days are evil. And that Greek word for evil is poneris, which is kind of a, a form of the word earlier he used, pornea. And what this word means here, the days are evil, it means they are painful, laborious, and troubled. So if we today are living in evil, painful, troubled times, what are the opportunities that we should make the most of? As darkness distends, the light still shines. Take every chance to share God's love. Take every chance to share God's love. Yeah. Make every moment count. Make every moment count. Yeah, these are all good thoughts. Make the most of our living for the Lord to really know what it means to follow Jesus Christ and to do that and not be messing around following what we're called to do. Uh, Don't be foolish, don't be unbelieving, short-sighted, but be wise and understand what the Lord's will is. And we can understand the Lord's will, like we said earlier, by reading his word. Anything that's in the Bible, we're commanded to do. If he says do this and don't do this, this is the Lord's will. You can count on it. Um, There's also things that God might put on your heart personally to do. Like to go speak to a friend or neighbor, to go um, do something to help a family member. That's his will too. We understand what his will is for us. Don't We need to do that then. Um, Paul says, don't miss it. Don't be short-sighted. And then he says uh, to not be drunk, but instead be filled with the Spirit. And see, wine and drunkenness, along with all this other stuff going on that we talked about, there was also wine and drunkenness as part of these pagan festivals. And the people thought if they were intoxicated, they would take on the spirit of the gods they were worshiping. Well, that's kind of scary. Um, And Paul's saying don't have anything to do with that kind of pagan stuff. Don't be drunk with wine. That's not what you want to do. He says instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what you want, to be filled with the spirit of God. And drinking so much to get drunk caused them to be immoral. Instead of being intoxicated and opening themselves up to the evil spirits, they're to live their lives by being filled with the Holy Spirit of God, which leads us into righteousness. In contrast with verse 4 that talked about coarse, vulgar, and improper speech, um, Paul then says, hey, Speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, making music in your hearts to the Lord. This is talking about worshiping God. And so what must have been happening is some of this coarse vulgar junk was at church too. And he's saying, no, it should be a time of worship and praise to the Lord. Make music in your hearts to the the Lord. And we're supposed to worship God by not just by singing to him, but how we speak and how we act. Always give thanks to God at all times for all things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then continuing on, Paul starts speaking about another thing here. Uh, Let's pick up in verse 21 and read to the end of the chapter. Ephesians 5, 21, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourself to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Okay, he starts it out by saying, submit to one another. And this word submit is a, a Greek word, hubo-tasso uh, from two separate words that they've put together. And hupo means under, and tasso means arrange. And the Greek here means to arrange under, meaning that it's something that an individual chooses to do, to yield to another. It cannot be demanded or it becomes domination. Hupotasso can also mean to identify with or to become one with. So why would it be important, therefore, for us to submit to each other? Why does he start it out by saying that? Submit to one another. hmm That means you're willing to receive what other has to you know say to you, you're willing to listen to them. The Bible tells us to hum be humble to and th- that's part of submitting to one another. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because that because that allows you to uh receive what other people has to say and listen. That allows you to receive what other people have to say and listen. If we don't learn to submit to one another, we won't learn to submit to God. Yeah. Um, it tells us why we are to do it is out of reverence for Christ. And this concept of submission, so that's part of why we would want to submit to one another is um, as everybody has different gifts and abilities in the church that, you know, we, we can learn from each other. We can uh, submit to each other, meaning we're being humble people. Uh, The concept of submission is used in soldiers following their commanders, Uh, members of the church yielding to their leadership, and all people to governing authorities of the state. Okay, so there's submission going on there in many different areas. Um, It was used to designate role relationships in all these different types of situations. It didn't have anything to do with superiority, or dominance of one person over another. And we know that because he talks about Christ in the church. And the church, he's not saying you're inferior and I'm dominating you. No, that's not how it, how it is described here. Um, in Mark 10:42 to 45, Jesus is talking about this and he says, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be servant of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many." So that's the example of Jesus. And if we're going to be like Jesus, if we're following his example, he's saying we need to prefer one another, not to demand personal rights. And this is necessary if we're going to reveal the love of Christ in our lives. Um, Just a little side note here, submission in the past uh, was defined by many men as justification for wife beating, for abuse, and even today for honor killing. I mean, pastors in some churches, sad to say, have not really helped women in those situations, and they've let them suffer and even die at the hands of abusive husbands. This is not what... Uh, should be going on in the Christian church. This is not, that's not a man making his wife submit. That is abuse. Paul never said that, and God never said that. In fact, God says in Psalm 11:5, the Lord examines the righteous, but the wicked, those who love violence, he hates with a passion. God hates abuse with a passion. He hates all kinds of abuse, violence, abuse, domination, are not only not part of marriage, but they should not be part of any relationship of any kind, ever. The overarching theme here of what we're looking at today in these uh, verses from 21 to 33 is a, continuing on with what he's been saying earlier about unity and love and care for each other. That's what he's talking about. And in the first century when this was written, women didn't have any rights. Uh, usually no real education and they were considered as property for their husbands in the Gentile world. It was customary for a woman's father to claim ownership over his daughter even after she was married. And theologian uh, Catherine Clark Kroger tells us that this system was a way for the bride's dowry to be controlled by her father even after she moved in with her husband. As long as she was brought back to her father's house at least three times a year, the father could claim legal ownership over her and her property. This horrible practice obviously created a lot of problems for families. And uh, thankfully later it was outlawed. But that is why Paul is telling women in the church that they should only be attached to, only be identified with, only submitted to their husbands and not to their father. She needed to see her husband as the head. The Greek here for the word head is kephale, which means source, just like the head of a river or the source of a river. And what he's saying is your husband is your source, not your father. It's your husband now. And you should look to him. This was a very liberating thing, actually for Paul to be telling these women that they're to become one flesh with their husbands, identified with one another. And Paul's saying this is the way a true Christian marriage should be. In the middle of this pagan Roman culture, couples should develop this deep and intimate bond with each other uh, where they work together through their differences and their problems. They share dreams, they share goals together, and they walk through the darkest moments together. There can be differences, but they handle them together. They pray about them together and separately. They submit each one of them to God's leading in the matter. And they move forward together and until they agree on it, if they can wait till they come to a joint uh, agreement, they wait until then. Because the goal of marriage isn't one person forcing their will on another. The goal of marriage is to equally come together and be united as one in Jesus Christ. Couples should be loving, self-sacrificing, helping each other become all they're created to be, loving each other as themselves, caring for each other, and respecting each other. And that's how a marriage should be. In Genesis 1:28 to 31, that's God's assignment to us before sin entered the world, before the fall of mankind, after He told them, uh, what that was, he said all is good. Genesis 1.28, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. This is to both Adam and Eve. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then jump down to verse 31. It says that God saw all he had made and it was good. So there was a stewardship given here. Before sin entered the world, before the fall of sinful fall of mankind, there was a stewardship given to men and women to take care of the earth. They were not told to rule over each other. I don't find that anywhere in these verses. They were told to instead to rule or take care of the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and every living creature. Uh, the relationship here is one of equality and mutual love and respect. And if we here today take this encouragement, uh, when we come to Jesus Christ, when we are redeemed, if we take this encouragement to caringly, lovingly take care of each other, if we're united in love, there'll be such a witness to the world of what it means to follow Jesus Christ and imitate him. So how do we imitate Jesus? How do we be like Jesus? First, have sacrificial love for each other. And that's I'm not just talking about marriage here now. I'm talking about all of us, you know, in the body of Christ. Have a sacrificial love for each other, meaning we prefer each other. We're willing to help and encourage each other. Uh, We should have the kind of relationship with each other, uh, men and women, that show that we want the best for each other. To see each other as part of a useful, needful part of the body of Christ, that we see everybody that way. And second, we need to speak and act in righteousness. I mean, think of your words as part of your worship of Jesus Christ, like we said. Behave in a way that's pure and righteous. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you the power and wisdom you need to act wisely, so that you don't have problems with your speech or your behavior. And that's the third point, be filled with the Holy Spirit. The only way that you and I can hope to ever be like Jesus (laughs) and do what he asks us to do is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We need that power, we need that strength in our lives or it just becomes very, very difficult. We need to ask the Holy Spirit to fill us up with the power of God each day so we can live righteous and holy lives and we can get rid of all the old behavior, all the junk of the past and put on the new, the light of God and live our lives in that way, the new self. The Holy Spirit will give us the wisdom and the ability to make good choices. Every day we need to ask Jesus to fill us up to overflowing with his power, with the Holy Spirit power as we face our day. Would you stand with me as we close? Okay, if everyone would just bow their heads. As you've listened to the scriptures today, you maybe thought about your life and thought, you know, how how can I be more like Jesus? Uh, More like Jesus. It's not just words we say, it's how we act, how we treat others. Uh, If you want God's love to be more evident in your life, if you want to show that love to others more, just raise your hand. Thank you. And if you want to speak and act in righteousness, to have your words and action, be like worship each day. And you want God to just fill you again with the power of the Holy Spirit so you can be more like Jesus. Just raise your hand. Thank you. Lord God, we just thank you that your power is available to us. That you said that if we want the Holy Spirit, we just ask you. So, Father, we just ask that you just fill us up to overflowing from the top of our head to the soles of our feet with the Holy Spirit power. Lord, help us be able to show your love to others. Help us be able to live in a way that honors you. Lord, I pray that um, the Holy Spirit each day would give us the ability to make good choices, to act wisely, to make the most of every opportunity. Help us when we read your word, Lord. The Holy Spirit, it says... In John 14, that you are our teacher. And so teach us your word, Lord God, through the Holy Spirit power. Uh, Lord, draw us close to you. Give us everything we need each day. Father, I pray that we would be people who show what it means to follow Jesus Christ everywhere we go. We just thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in our lives today and what you will do tomorrow. In Jesus' name, may the Lord God bless us with all heavenly benediction and make us pure and holy in his sight. May the riches of his glory abound in us. May he instruct us with the word of truth, inform us with the gospel of salvation, and enrich us with his love through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.